Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., which may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Previously, on the Old Ways Podcast, there are bulbous and shrunken and warped faces which careen around each other as that muscle mass moves from left to right. The faces of those troubled souls wail and weep and cry for some undeliverable justice. God. Either way, I'm backing as far away from the pit as I possibly can as quickly as I can. Can I uh, speak to Lieutenant Cole, please? I apologize. The uh, lieutenant just walked out. Looked like he was in a hurry. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I'm your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we have a special episode for you tonight. Uh, We are in our three investigator formation. Um, To my right, or my left, actually... Let's start it out a different way. To my left. My name is Tiffany, and I will be playing Maeve O'Shea. And um, yeah, things happened and got serious. They did. They did. Last session was a little strange. And you've never gone first in introductions, so this ought to be a little stranger. And then to your left, it would be. This is James. I'll be playing Dr. Sigmund Tartenbach, the group physician, uh, who is currently re-examining everything he knew about reality. It seems totally reasonable given the place you just came from. And then uh, last but most certainly not least. I am Morgan. I play Lillian Lane, and I still want to set things on fire. Still want to set the building on fire. You know, I don't blame you, really. So we'll pick up inside the very comfortable space of Miss Lane's automobile. Um, The investigators have piled in, uh, still dirty and uh, some of them (laughs) rather bloody from their encounters in the depths of the Juju house. And as they close the door, uh, her driver walks around the front having assisted them getting in, walks around the front of the automobile. And as he opens the door, he does so uh, with a bit of a sigh. Sitting down into this still you know, mechanical contraption that this auto is, um, he grabs the wheel and begins to reach for the gear lever in front of him. So what I'd like each one of you to do is roll spot hidden. Yes, sir. 74 out of, I believe, 85. 
Uh, five out of, I believe, 70. Yeah. Uh, 95 is a negative, sir. Yeah, 95 is not going to help you very much at all. So, Doctor, given your level of success, uh, an extreme success, uh, you look to the sidewalk where you just come out of the alleyway, and you see a, a pretty reasonable amount of foot traffic. Men and women have passing by here in Harlem, and you see that even the small bit of uh, people who'd been disrupted by your uh, rather quick exit from the alleyway uh, have started to go back to the regular flow of traffic. And it's in that regular flow that you realize that there is a person standing on the sidewalk who is not moving, and their position has positioned them to look directly into the car. Now, the car itself is, the windows are up, obviously, because it's still January here. It's cold. Uh, The snowstorm, uh, while it has passed, still has left quite a bit of snow on the ground. And what strikes you about this individual, this uh, dark-skinned individual, is that he has locked eyes with you as you sit inside the cab. Uh, Miss Lane, Miss O'Shea, you do not pick up on this. I want to memorize his face real quick, uh, if possible. Uh, general configuration of his, you know, uh, uh, his dress, how tall he is, uh, general facial features. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not a problem. So I'll give, you a, I'll give you a rough idea of what he looks like. So... This man is relatively tall, broad. His face uh, is uh, has a rather dark complexion. He has very striking eyes. Uh, his head is completely clean shaven. And what strikes you about him is that he is not wearing a hat. That is weird. Yeah, it is strange. He has a broader jaw. And before you get any more detail on his face, you realize that it's getting larger. And the reason why his face is getting larger is because he is rapidly approaching the vehicle. Does he look like he has uh, ill intent? You're not certain. He doesn't look like he's in a, a happy and joyous mood. He's not, he doesn't have a very wide smile. He's not, doesn't look very joyful. Um, but you definitely pick up on that he is approaching the vehicle on a rapid, as you go to memorize his face and the angles and his nose and his brow, uh, get all the definite features that a doctor would. What do you do? Uh, I would, uh, I guess, lock the door of the taxi if when, you know. It's not a taxi. It's, it's, sorry, sorry, it's the car. It's okay. I'm just, I just want to be clear. We had last game, we had Mr. Uh, Forsyth, ask if it was a taxi as well. It's not a taxi. You reach over to uh, affix the lock into the position for the door. And his face, because I'm assuming you're still looking at it to try to keep a gauge on him. Absolutely. His face begins to contort into a scowl. 
It's at this point, Miss Lane, when you see Doc, the doctor reach over and lock the door, that you realize something doesn't feel right. I look over to where Dr. Tottenbach is looking and I'm assuming notice that gentleman rapidly approaching. You do notice a figure approaching the vehicle. He actually reaches out and grabs the front passenger side door handle. Now, the group is sitting in the back. I um, frantically tap my driver on the shoulder and um, tell him, uh, Charles, we need to get going. The door to the, the front of the car opens, and you see this dark man, this dark complexion, this African figure, reach into his pocket. It's at this point when the door opens, Miss O'Shea, that you are startled and see that something is happening. Do I see him reach into his pocket? Uh, you're just getting a quick assessment of the situation, um, so you don't see him reach in his pocket. You do see okay. that he is leaning into the vehicle at this point. I guess I'm going to try and get Scoot as far away from him as I can. You move to the left, which kind of pushes into one of your fellow investigators. Doctor, you see his hand come up, uh, but he doesn't have a weapon in it, which is what you were expecting. I assumed it was going to be a gun. Yeah, you heard the horror stories of Franz Ferdinand, and you were concerned that this was going to be a repeat. In his hand, he has what looks to be a handful of silvery dust, and he takes an enormous breath. Oh, I look away as soon as I see the dust. And he blows it at you. So dust goes all over the place, and there's a, a whistle in the air. and that is when I need you to make me a power roll. Oh, my. Poop. I rolled a 99 and therefore didn't make it. I see that. Uh, mine's 63 out of 50, so I didn't make it either. Uh, 31 out of 50. So this powder goes all over the place. And you begin coughing. The, all three of you. Uh, the rest of your fellow investigators are also coughing. Um, your vision begins to blur within seconds. Uh, and James, you hear a very high-pitched whine uh, in your left ear. It almost feels like a, an after-effect of a bomb going off. Uh, that high-pitched, high-pitched, uh, 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 like the ear eardrums have been ruptured kind of a feel. Yeah, almost like your blood pressure has shifted in a significant way. Can I check The three pulse? of you... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Your hands go down to uh, your neck or your wrist, depending on whichever the doctor would prefer. And you realize that your pulse is slowing very rapidly. You look back at uh, the front of the cab and you realize that the figure has slammed the door shut. Miss O'Shea, you begin to fall forward, uh, having lost your balance. And your arms go out protectively to try to find 
something to land on. Miss Lane, you see the face of Charles in front of you. You see his eyes roll back in his head as he's reacting to this cloud that's been blown around the inside of the vehicle. And one by one, the lights of consciousness dim to motes. They are plucked out, much like errant hairs. They are tweezed from your memories and your consciousness, and you lapse into blackness. Miss O'Shea, you wake on something rigid. You feel the creak of old leather. You smell well-kept and polished leather underneath you. You almost feel the the pits and the buttons uh, inside of a leather couch. Can I look around at all? Yeah, you open your eyes and you're in a a room of wood and mahogany and leather. You see reading lamps and leather furniture, um, a couple of windows with curtains. It looks like it's nighttime outside. You see a fireplace, just low, but still smoldering well, and uh, endless supply of books from floor to ceiling. The room is tall. It even supports one of those uh, library ladders that you're so familiar with. Can I glance at some of the books to see what kind of books are here? Well, the couch is in the middle of the room. It almost looks like this isn't a a sleeping couch or a uh, a fainting couch, as some folks would call it. Uh, This is more like a sitting couch where someone would sit up and read a book. Well, then I will sit up and look, look around. Is there anybody in here? No, it's bereft of life except for you. You sit up and your head spins for a moment and you hear echoes of something. A voice. Is there a door? There are doors. There's two of them. One to your left and one to your right. Um, I guess I will go to the left. You stand up and your knees go weak. You have to brace yourself on the couch. Your brain is just not willing to play along with utilizing your feet, fortunately, and you have to sit back down for a moment. Realize that directly behind you is another couch. So these kind of two couches kind of sit back to back and that there are small pedestal stands at either end of these long leather couches, which have uh, these stands have books on them. What kind of books are on them? Um, They look like they're historical in nature. One of them appears to be written in uh, a language you're not familiar with. Although it looks maybe Spanish. Hmm. There's there's definitely some uh, accent marks which make it look like it's Spanish. James, you come to at a full walking pace. 
It is a beautiful day. The sun is out. You are in a rolling hill. Um, it appears to be near somewhat of a wooded glen. And you are walking, unaided by a cane, through a field. Enjoying the sensation of walking. Oh, absolutely. There's a faint smell of prairie grass nearby, which brings lavender and other wonderful smells to you. Uh, it must be spring. You see overhead a trio of birds fly. Uh, they appear to be robins. Uh, they nestle in a tree, not but maybe 20 or 30 yards from you. Um, there's a definite mother, father, baby to these three. Your walk takes you further towards the tree. And as you stare up at the birds, you realize that they're staring back at you. Intently almost. They seem greatly interested in what you are. I stop and I stare at them for a while. Just, just hold their gaze. They seem to sing to you almost. Almost as if they're chirping specifically at you. It's hard to make out any nuances other than birdsong, but they are a wonderful sight to see. It's at that point that you notice the path continues on towards your right, and in the far distance, beyond one of the hills, you notice that there is a large, some type of manor house. Definitely heading there. That looks like a good destination. It almost feels familiar, almost. As you pass over a couple of hills, you notice that on the left-hand side there is a wide river. And on the opposite side of the river, you see that there are other uh, estates as well. If you didn't know it better, it almost feels like somewhere in Germany. That feels like the Rhine? Uh, maybe. Uh, the houses here are a little different. They're more... Uh, they're almost too Elizabethan to be German. They're a little too English for Germany's taste. I guess that's probably the best way to put it. Really? <laughs> Morgan, you awake to the sound of gunfire. Fantastic. You sit bolt up in a field. And this field is not too far off from uh, what looks like a stone pathway that leads down to a boathouse. I slowly get up and evaluate myself for any injuries or because I was injured when I left the Juju house. Yeah, the things that have happened in the past to, to you don't seem to be very prescient in your mind. They're not very easily uh, recalled at this point. You physically appear fine. You heard the gunshot. You knew it happened. Uh, you turn around and you see a man uh, in a suit, uh, minus his hat, uh, and he's holding his stomach. And you start seeing the telltale signs of blood kind of pour over his wound. He's a, a bit of a stocky man. Suits a 
a working suit. Doesn't seem very uh, high class. Uh, and you can see that his face looks stricken with worry lines and concern. I rush over to him to see what I can do to to help. I, um, I'm assuming I'm wearing a dress, so I um, tear a piece off of my dress to try to press against the wound. I, I do that while I'm running over there. Okay, so you run over and, you know, remove part of the, the garment you're wearing, which is a relatively simple but yet fashionable dress well within your uh, station. And you begin trying to press and, and hold the wound to try to get it to stop bleeding, or at least to, to hold it in. And you come face to face with this man. You see that his skin has begun to pale. Uh, his face has a somewhat reasonable five o'clock shadow to it. And all you can feel is heartache for him. When he unfolds his hands from the wound to let you hold in the blood, you see on each one of his hands, there is a crescent shape on the left and on the right. And those shapes are burned into his hands as if someone took a hot iron and pressed them against his flesh. I ask him, um, what is your name? Who did this to you? He kind of leans forward a little bit and puts his hand on your shoulder to try to steady his body. And you realize that your hands are beginning to get covered in his blood. It's as if more and more continues to pour out of the wound, ever more so than you thought was possible. Um, Again, I just try to press against the wound harder. Uh, try to stop the bleeding and again I ask him his name if he could you know just give me his name he says you did this to me you do this to me this is this is your fault why did you do this I didn't do this to you I I promise I, I would I didn't do this to you I don't even know you Miss O'Shea, the dizziness subsides for a moment, and you stand back up. I want to look at what kind of books are here. Are they all in a language I don't understand? No, there are several books that you're readily able to read the titles of. Um, most of them are history books um, on the anything from the 10th to the 15th century, Uh, Many of them are on different topics, geographical texts that have been made. Okay. Um, I'm going to see if there's somebody in another room. Okay. And go open the door to the left if I can. You go to the door to the left. It's solidly locked. The wrought iron doorknob refuses to move for you. How far up does this room go? Well, height-wise, um, mm-hmm. I'd say it's probably a good 20 feet or so. Okay. It's definitely got some vault to the ceiling. I guess I'll uh, climb one of the ladders and see if there's other kinds of books on the top. You are drawn to uh, a green 
binded book. It's a book that's bound in a leather, and you can see that the outside of it has a, a green tint to it. Um, and you see that there is a strange symbol on the side of it. Um, it's nothing like you've seen in uh, normal travels. You don't think that this book would... It doesn't fit with the rest of them. Well, that is the book I want to look at, then. You run your fingers over the binding and begin to pull it out. And you hear a whisper in your ear. And the way it's phrased, it triggers a memory of you sitting in a daybed when you were young. It's a male voice for sure. Definitely fatherly. But you can't immediately place it. I'm gonna still open the book because that's who I am. Okay. You take the book off the shelf. Uh, On the front of it, there appear to be ridges and bumps. Almost as if the book's... um, leather facing has been scarred by something. It's hard to make out specifically because there's not a ton of great light up here. You'd probably have to take it down to get it into better light. Yeah, I'm going to take it down to the couch that I was on. You return to the safety of the couch, as it were, and you put the book on your lap. It's a relatively large-sized tome. I'd say the book is probably have a good four to maybe four and a half inches thick. So it's definitely got some heft to it. The cover is well done, except that the bumps on it have marred the original title. And you can't help but run your hand across um, the almost raised terrain of this book and inspect the symbols and, well, the leftover text that once was here. I can say I want to look into the title page to see what the title is. You open the book up and the first page doesn't have a title at all. It's a hand-sketched drawing of someone's face. Uh, They seem to be an elderly man, uh, thinning gray hair, definitely Caucasian, tight lips with uh, deep laugh lines and uh, almost almost fatty cheeks. Um, But the eyes are what pierce your brain. The eyes seem to stare up at you. And as you settle the page down to get a good look, you can see that the eyes don't move away. I'm going to quickly flip the page. That's enough of that. (laughs) You quickly flip the page. When you flip the page, you come to another face. This one of an elderly woman. Um, She's gaunt and seems to have gone through quite a bit in her life. You can see that she had a very difficult life just by her common disfigurements. Um, Her face has lost a fair bit of weight when this picture was drawn. But her eyes, too, watch you as you go. And you can see uh, around her neck uh, you see some sort of serpent symbol. And it's the symbol in that book that you see this curved serpent that reminds you of who this person is. It's Grace Holden. Except this is Grace as if she was 20 years older than she is now. Or when you left her years ago. Okay. That's interesting. 
What's on the next page? You flip the page. I'll get back to you in a moment. James, you've made it to the house. Getting to the house wasn't difficult. It was exceedingly pleasant. But what you've noticed along the way is the terrain change a little bit in a very peculiar way. With each step, you've been brought closer and closer to the house, but the surrounding area has continued to change. It's almost as if time is moving far faster for the terrain than it is you. You see people come and go, wagons come and go, troops come and go. Troops like you're used to, Germany's troops. And you see trenches get built, war lines begin. And each time this rapid succession of building and breaking down and then the earth renewing itself and then building and breaking down happens. You see the house that is on the hill and you finally get to the house and you realize that the house itself uh, has changed drastically. That uh, the house is no longer this fancy Elizabethan house. It has been transformed into something unbelievable. Um, It has battlements. It has uh, guards outside of it who are wearing strange uniforms. Uh, It's taken on an almost authoritarian feel that you are not familiar with. Like I'm walking through time. Are there any flags that they're they're, uh, waving or showing? Well, you see the the German flag? Yeah, absolutely. The one you're familiar with? Okay. Um, I, I hail the the people nearest to me the the I see if he can see me wave to him ask him where he hit, where he's coming from and where he's going you wave to him you hail him he uh steps aside from his post and uh gives you a a look over before marching down to see you with a very stern gaze and he extends his hand and says who are you what are you doing here my name is Dr. Sigmund Tartenbach, and I I am on going for a walk. I am on a constitutional. Do you still serve the house? He glances back at the house. When he glances back at the house, your eyes are drawn back to the house itself, and you realize that the back end of this house, which is where you're standing at, where the, you know, the parks and the um, garden area would be, you realize it's your family's house. Of course I serve the house. I have always served the house. Then perhaps you could explain this. Um, He draws your attention back and you see a gray fedora. It's upturned in his hand. There's there's something in the bottom of it, like in the actual hat itself. Um, It's just something I'm wearing to protect myself. You're pretty clear that this is not your hat. This is not mine. I I would not wear this. He gestures almost violently to push the hat at you. It's clearly yours. I take the hat from him. You take the hat. Um, you see on the inside of the brim of the hat just this, where the uh, more of a, a maker's mark would be on it. Uh, you see that there is a strange symbol. I, I put the hat on my head. You put the hat on and it doesn't fit. It's too big. I take it back off. Something in the back of the hat kind of 
nips the back of your head. Ow! Hold on. I take it off and reach into the hat. You take it off, reach into the hat, and you realize that uh, when you take off the hat and uh, feel the back of your head, you can feel that there's blood there. I told you this was not my hat. Now look, look what you've done. The guard looks rather puzzled at you and then looks down at the hat. You reach into the hat because you want to figure out what the heck is going on, and you see that there's a, a strange symbol at the back of it. There's a loop, and then there's a line which crosses that loop before the loop uh, intertwines and extends to a longer stem. And you realize that it's an ankh, but it's not in the right position. I know this shape. I've seen this before. Inside the hat, you feel something metallic. Uh, I try to draw it out? Yeah, you pull it out. It's in there pretty firm, but you pull it out slowly but surely, and you realize that it's a badge. I look at whose badge it is. It's a badge. It says New York Police Department, and on the front of it, you see it It has a number on the front of it. It says 037. I try to remember that number, 037. Commit it to memory. Miss Lane, you realize that this man's trying to tell you something. He's having a hard time getting the words out, though. Are you trying to tell me who shot you? It, it, it wasn't me, I, I promise. I, I did not shoot you. You hear him mumbling to himself. He's seems to be saying something. It starts with M, but you're not sure specifically what it is. It definitely starts with M. He reaches up and plucks something off of his jacket, and it's a brown circular button. It's got four holes in it. And he pushes the button into your hand, and he gives you a very intent look and coughs another rolling, racking cough. And that's when, Doctor, you hear someone cough. Where did that come from? You're not rightly sure, but it must be beyond the guard somewhere. I push the hat at the guard and head off in that direction. Okay. The guard pays you little mind except to hold on to the hat and kind of turn as you leave. You hop up the stairs, still fleet of foot somehow, <laughs> and you cross into the garden area and you see there's a long stone path which leads towards the river where your family's property backs up on. And on this stone path, you see a woman and you see her standing next to a man who seems to be bleeding rather profusely. You can't place who the woman is, but the man looks familiar, but you you can only see the back of his head. He's coughing. But he need, he's coughing and bleeding. I'll go help. I know I can help. Okay, you begin moving that way. Miss O'Shea, you turn another page. Mm-hmm. And as you turn... You turn the next page, and you see uh, a younger man than the previous one you'd seen a few pages back. Uh, this man is uh, got a broad smile, 
Uh, he's a... He must be a good health. Looks like it. I wouldn't say he looks young. I would say he looks um, well taken care of. You know this man, but you can't place his name. It's hard. It's almost as if it's at the tip of your tongue, but it just won't connect with your brain. You see that the page here has a a wide amount of uh, text written, but the tongue that it's written in, you don't rightly understand or notice. There's been some fair amount of adornment done to this picture. It's got a a wide ribbon wrapped around it um, that the other ones didn't. And in general, is the nicest picture so far you've come across. Okay. Is the ribbon holding anything into place, like a fold-out or anything, or it's just as decoration? Yeah, the ribbon is actually... um, it's drawn on. It's not so much an actual ribbon. Okay. Until you touch it. And then it becomes fabric. Hmm. So can I pull the ribbon from the page? You can. You begin pulling on this ribbon. It's a wide and a forest green color. And as you pull on it, you realize that the material that it's made of is amazingly smooth. If you didn't know it any better, it was a fine French or Asian silk. It gets tumbled between your fingers, and you almost take a bit of pleasure in its feel, just because there's nothing like it in this room at all. When it finally unwraps, you see that the picture that it leaves is finally connected in your brain. That picture is your father. You don't know how he's gotten into this book or what someone has written about him, but there he is. I'm going to try and decipher anything that I can about the writing on this page. Maybe it'll give me clues to where he's gone, what he's doing. Okay. That's fair. Why don't you make me an occult roll? Okay. Yes! 36 out of 85. You realize something as you look at the ribbon and look at the page. The words on this page seem to be written as a series of verses. Almost as if it's some sort of hymn or song. And the green here... The underside of it, uh, the side that has not seemingly been exposed to time, is actually far brighter. It's almost uh, Kelly green. Okay. A couple of the words begin to reveal themselves to you. And you realize that one of the words is Gallic. Well, I do speak that. It's an older version of it as well. And what you get from it is the idea that this series of verses focuses on the joining of two beings. The word you get specifically is the word pledge. 
I don't like that. Well, I, I mean, I'm not here to make you like it. That's that's not my job. <laughs> you begin to see it over and over and over again. And you realize that whatever this is, whatever this, if you had more time with it, you might be able to figure out what this pledge was. Well, I'm going to sit down and see if I can pick out like who or what the pledge was to. Um, as long as I can. Okay. You get a couple of other words. You get honor, you get bite, and blood. And it's at that point where you hear a gunshot. From what direction? From the right side of the room. Um, I'm going to grab the book and the ribbon. I'm going to put the ribbon in my pocket. Okay. The door opens. I'm going to look. You see a man standing there. He he looks probably in his mid-40s, a little bit heavy set, um, slicked back hair. Uh, he's been shot. And he looks at you and looks at the book and then turns and runs. Like back out the room? Yeah, like down the hall he came or he was in. Um, I'm going to run after him. You run after him. Uh, he runs for probably a good few hundred feet through this maze of a house. Uh, you see uh, different doors and different rooms inside of it. And he careens through a, a wide sitting room uh, and out a patio door. As you continue through the house to follow him, when you get to the archway of that patio door that leads outside, you see him standing next to a shorter woman and you think there's another person who might be uh, some sort of physician who seems to be attending to him. So, wait, does this man fall or he's still running? He's not running. He's not falling. When you get to the patio door, he has already made it the distance and is standing next to this shorter woman and this uh, attending physician. I'm going to look at them and ask them, what happened here? Uh, Doctor and Miss Lane, a woman that you're somewhat familiar with, but you're not sure who she is exactly, asks, has asked you what happened to this man. He has been shot. For the record, I'm applying a pressure to the wound. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you begin applying pressure to the wound and you realize that the wound he has, the amount of pressure that you're putting to it clearly is not making enough of a difference. Look around for my doctor bag. Let me look around for your doctor bag. You don't see your doctor bag, but you do see a, uh, a whole bunch of um, fabric in this woman's pocket. It's green fabric sticking out of it. I need that fabric, my dear, to stop the bleeding. Um, why don't you take the hem from my skirt? <laughs> I'm gonna maybe try and rip the hem off the bottom of my skirt. Okay, you get down on one knee and try to kind of pull apart the hem of the skirt a little bit in hopes of being able to utilize it here. You manage relatively quickly 
to separate a section of the skirt, although you're not sure your mother would approve. But you do manage to remove enough fabric to give this physician something. Here, take this. Gladly take the fabric and hold it to the wound. Okay. You hold the fabric to the wound and you see the the blood seems to stem a bit. It does seem to slow down. This man is still coughing. As he does so, he looks down at you and you see, Doctor, that he's got two rather wide burn marks or brands on his hands. Have I seen the something like that before? They don't so much look familiar. They almost look incomplete. Um, each side of them is curved in nature. Yeah, they curve in a very strange pattern. It looks like it's as if one half of his hand, like say his left hand, has a bit of a curve to it. And there's another straight piece on the same hand. The right hand is, is very similar. If I brought the hands together, would it form a, a, a whole pe- a whole image? Uh, it might be able to. I do that. Okay. You begin to bring his hands together, and you see that his face go rather ashen, and he starts physically resisting you. No, 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 no. Miss Lane? Yes? Give us a shout. Tell us what you're doing. I am watching the doctor do his thing. Obviously, I don't know who he is other than looks familiar. I mentioned to um, the woman standing there and to the doctor that um, the gentleman kept trying to tell me the letter M, as in maybe that's the person that shot him, but I don't know who letter M is. M? Maybe. He continues, starts mumbling M at you, a series of M's. Tell me what you mean to say, ma'am. Spit it out. Can I go down and look at the man? Yeah, absolutely. You can turn around, the walk around the uh, attending physician that you'd handed your hem of your skirt to, and you look at the, the man directly. He looks up at you from the doctor, and he panics and tries to start stepping away. Is he looking at the book or is he looking at me? He's looking at the book. I'm going to go back up on the porch and like sit on a step and like flip the next page past my father. Because people are scared of this book and I need to figure it out. Okay. Once she turns from him, he stops panicking. And the bleeding is stopped? The bleeding or at least has staunched. Yes, the bleeding has staunched. He goes to one knee and then eventually lies down in the grass. I saw that he got panicked when the woman approached, correct? Yep, that's right. Um, I walk over to the woman on the stairs and um, I ask mm-hmm. her name. Uh, name's Maeve. As I'm flipping the pages. Well, you're flipping a page. Well, I mean, I meant the pages to get up to where my father was, and then the next page. Mm-hmm. Miss Lane, the name sounds somewhat familiar. Um, tough to place, though. I'm Lillian. It's nice to meet you. Yeah, weird circumstances. So you came... The man... Did the man come running out of the house? Because all I heard was a gunshot, and the man was there. No. And just to clarify so that everybody understands, for 
doctor and Miss Lane, the man never ran out of the house. He always was in that same position. Right, right. Okay. It's okay. I just want to be clear. Maeve, did you see the man before he was laying right here? No, I just um, heard a gunshot and he came into the library that I was in, saw this book and ran out. I'm surprised he could run with the gunshot wound. I am also surprised, but I chased him through the house out to here and you were already treating him. Of course he has a gunshot wound. It's what I do. I am a doctor. And what's your name, doctor? My name is Sigmund. Sigmund, you're immediately struck by a fragment of metal in your hip. It causes you to fall to the ground. Oh, Oxlever. Are you okay? I am having pain. It's intense. It rolls up the back of your spine and down into your leg. Why don't you sit down right here? I sit down on the ground next to them. You sit down on the ground next to them and kind of lean yourself up against the wide stone stair and casement of the patio. And when you look back, the man who you were assisting just moments ago, who's not but maybe 10 feet away, is being attended to by a priest who seems to be reading out of a book. Now that I'm out in, like, daylight or sunlight, can I see the cover of my book better? Oh, absolutely. Um, You can't really make out specifically what it is other than it's a cover to a book, which was at one point made of leather that has now been distressed or damaged through maybe some sort of chemical. And the words have been almost wiped away from the front of it. And there are now peaks and valleys in the leather that now uh, adorn its cover. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to keep studying what's in the book if I can. The next page has a slim and amazingly well-dressed older gentleman. Uh, Charm and grace. He seems to personify the upper crust. He's definitely someone who has a title even though there's no name or description listed for him. His eyes are what track the most, and they are deep, dark, and colorless. And he's not wearing anything like a necklace or anything that would be any kind of identifier? No, no, there doesn't seem anything specific to identify what what makes him so important. The ribbon around his picture is red. Can I also take that ribbon off? You absolutely can. Is that what you're going to do? Yes. When you pull on this ribbon, it liquefies in your hands. And when you pull it, your fingertips pull back blood. And the blood begins to flow out of the page of the book. Down your skirt and then down the steps of the patio. It looks as though your book has been shot. The priest finishes finishes last rites for the man who was shot. He promptly closes his book and walks down the garden path and off into a field. I thought the doctor fixed him. Was I mistaking that or did I hear wrong? No, I don't think I did. 
I'd like each of you to make me power rolls. 16 out of 50? I am spending two luck so that I will make it. Uh, I can't imagine why. 45 out of under 65. I am good. This scene, this garden begins to bleed away. It begins to drain uh, every strand of grass uh, blows into the wind or loses color. The stones themselves slowly dissolve around your feet until only the three of you are left in this cloud of strange remaining dust. Each one of you in that singular moment realize that you shared an experience with one another and like a hammer reality comes crashing against your brain you wake up to sneezing inside the cab of the car I'm gonna quickly look look around and like assess myself and our surroundings on the sidewalk directly next to the vehicle you see a few people have bunched up they're looking in the vehicle uh, you hear a great sneeze from the front of the vehicle and you realize that the driver is trying to come to i'm gonna shake him <laughs> wake up man we need to go <laughs> there is no sign of the aforementioned man who vexed you doctor he's long gone Oh, yes. Uh, he must be. You look left and right and behind out the small window and back of the vehicle, uh, and you do not see him at all. There is something missing, though, and that something missing is... All the ceremonial stuff? They do appear to be gone. Son of a bitch. I checked my packets for the IDs that I took from the basement. They appear to be there. Good. They appear to be there. Uh, there is one thing that still remains uh, from your collection, Miss O'Shea. Oh, yeah? The original mask I found. That is in your purse. Yes. You have that, and then, because it wouldn't have all fit in the cheetah skin anyway, you would also still have the... Uh, Marine chronometer. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. but those are the only two things you still have. Everything else is gone. The three of you look around and the rest of the investigative crew is brushing the dust off of them. And that's where we're going to leave it tonight. So I hope you enjoyed your small dalliance into somewhere beyond. And we will see when we get together next week, which one of you is willing to talk about it. It won't be me. I can't, can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs>